Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning, and this up. Sunny, excuse me, sunny day from our Fort Collins studio, but it is there's snow on the ground, and we're going to talk a lot about that too, the weather and how it's affecting your outdoor activities. Got a full show lined up for you today. We're going to give a lot, quite a few fishing updates, different perspectives, both ice and open water, and getting ready for open water. I know it doesn't seem like it, but it's right around the corner. Um, we're going to talk also about some of the things you need to be aware, especially if you're new to the outdoors. We're going to talk some uh, avalanches, and we're also going to talk mountain lion and uh, wildlife encounters. There's been some of that going on, probably not anything to get alarmed about, but we're going to talk about it and make sure you understand it. And we're going to talk some shooting. So we have a lot to cover. With that said, let's go to the phones. And joining us is Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. And how are you this fine day? And uh, it looks like we're going to get some, well, a little warmer than seasonal weather in the next couple days than kind of seasonal for about two weeks. We had some bitter cold. We thought it got so warm that maybe the front range ice was behind us. But there's also a lot of other factors. There's the sun. There's the thermal inertia that's going on. We just have a lot of things, to, and it's really difficult to pick a front-range place to fish, isn't it? Oh, it is. Right now, the weather is looks like for the next two weeks, it's, it's going to be really undecided about what it wants to do, whether it wants whether winter wants to stick around, and we're thinking about ice fishing, or whether spring wants to arrive, and we're thinking about open water fishing. So it's. Um, I think it's going to be changing, you know, every couple of days, just depending on the weather conditions that we're going to have. And and it can make it uh, challenging for an angler, you know, planning out a ways on a trip. But what it can do is it can provide some opportunities for someone who wants, you know, a last-minute fishing trip or, you know, maybe a last ice fishing trip or, or get out on that first bit of open water uh and, and fish for what's available there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's going to be almost a day-to-day kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's going to be a day-to-day kind of thing. Um, the one thing I want to caution people on, we had some bitter cold weather, although, as you know, I had escaped to a warmer climate for a few days, so I, I missed out on it. But we did get I, I know that made, I know that made Karen happy. Yeah, it did. We're, we did get some refreezing, which is rare at to getting towards the end of February to get fishable ice to refreeze. But we did get some. But And we're going to talk, and over the course of the show with you and with some other people, we're going to talk about opportunities. Now, there's still lots of mountain opportunities we'll cover, and there's some fly fishing opportunities later in the show. We're going to have a fly fishing update. But you can probably get out on some ice on the front range, but I think the word, Brad, right now has to be just extreme caution because this thawing, freezing, thawing, refreezing doesn't always make for good ice, and a a little bit of wind or warm weather can make some shoreline unstable, and you can get in trouble in a hurry. So I'm not saying you shouldn't go, but I'm saying, boy, you better really be careful. Yeah, Terry, that's exactly right. You know, I had... uh... 
buddy go out to St. Green just a couple of days ago. And um, where he was fishing, he was on four and a half inches of ice. But to walk out there, he had a spot, you know, as he's spudding his way out, that it was less than an inch thick. And I uh, talked to another buddy yesterday, and he said it looked like uh, someone went through kind of on the north end that uh, buoyed along the shoreline. The spring ice, for people who aren't real familiar with ice fishing, Spring ice is by far the most dangerous ice there is. I mean, ice is never safe, but because the conditions change so fast and, you know, the, the shorelines can go bad, you get warm water coming into the lake, so the lake can melt from underneath, so it may look okay and be very deceiving from the surface, whereas it's fairly thin. So this is the time, you know, we always stress it, but make sure you've got the proper safety equipment. You know, a life jacket, uh, your spikes, you're spudding your way out to check the ice thickness the whole way, and that you're fishing with a buddy so that if something goes wrong, you know, the only issue is maybe you lose a little bit of tackle and maybe you get wet, but it doesn't turn into a life-threatening situation. When you're by yourself is when a lot of the trouble happens. So, you know, make sure to take that precaution and don't just assume that because someone else is out there, that the ice on the whole body of water is safe. You need to take the time and really be cautious if you're going to go out there. And then, you know, once you get out there, uh, pay attention to the the temperatures during the day because I I know a few years ago a person fell through at Big Thompson because they went out in the morning, ice was good, and they decided to go back out in the afternoon They didn't check it again. And they went right to the hole that they were in in the morning, sat there for about 10 minutes, and the ice had gotten weak, and they went right through. Yeah, it, the ice can – I've had that happen. I was fishing Cherry Creek once, and I had, had trouble locating the crappies that year. And usually I could find crappies in the basin of Cherry Creek, but the ice had been marginal. And I couldn't spend a lot of time on the basin that year. And finally, we had some cold weather, and the basin froze over, and I was out there, and it was getting towards spring, more warmer days. And I found those crappies, and I was in a flip-over-style shelter. I flipped it over, and I was catching quite a few crappies, and I had decent ice. Now, all of a sudden, I realized that there was two or three inches of water on the ice. And I flipped my shelter up and looked, and the entire ice had water coming up on top, and I was very scared getting off. It was... It was, uh, you know, worked out fine, but, boy, it can change drastically. So if you're headed out on front range, now I know we're going to have some mountain ideas, and we'll talk about those during the show, and I'll get a few things from you. But if you were heading out onto the ice on the front range, any place you've heard that maybe there's some fishable ice and people might want to check it out? You know, the two, well, a few places. I've heard that uh, Sterling actually got about five to six inches of ice. Um and that's what the state park was, you know, reporting. So that would be a spot that maybe is a little bit different. That northeast corner has been staying a little bit colder than the rest of the area. So it may hold ice just a little better. Um, if you want to stay closer on the front range, basically the, the only two that I've heard, you know, north of the, the metro area that are doing good for ice conditions are Boyd and St. Rain. Be real cautious on St. Rain because those ponds, they have a lot of shoreline compared to the actual amount of water. 
So that water warms up a lot quicker, and the ice will get taken off those ponds a lot faster. So if I was going to go out any time, man, beyond this weekend uh, to a place like St. Marine or, or any of the smaller bodies of water thinking I'm going to ice fish, I'd make sure to throw a long rod in with me, you know, your, your typical summer rod, just so that if you get there and it doesn't look good or maybe the shoreline's gone out a bit, you can get out and fish that open water area and it's not a wasted trip and you don't you don't try to push it too far you can say you know what none of that ice looks iffy but this pond has some open water let's go fish that open water and be safe yeah no i agree um be real careful it's going to be changing day to day speaking of open water you know that's the other thing the cold weather we were talking quite a bit of open water fishing the last couple weeks we had seen a lot of things open up But with this cold spell, now fishing that open water until we get a couple warm days can be difficult because you get that skim ice on the shore that you certainly can't walk on, but makes it difficult to fish. But have you heard any open water opportunities, and what are people catching? You know, I haven't heard much on ponds unless they're, you know, local little ponds that have aerators on them, and those have, have seemed to start to open up. But one of the areas that people, you know, this time of year, um, you know, some of those lower uh, streams and stuff, the Big Thompson, the St. Vrain, the Pooter, you don't have to go up too far just as long as you're up far enough that, uh, you know, it's still flowing after this cold weather. Um, You get some good trout activity in those areas. So if I was going to be targeting that i'd kind of be targeting some of those areas and i know guys are doing really good at the uh, south flat below chatfield uh, you know chatfield down to about um, bowls or lincoln boulevard there that stretch of river there's several different opportunities for public access and that holds a real wide variety of fish there's walleyes in there there's smallmouth bass uh you've got uh carp and and your trout species in there so you can get in there on that open water of the flowing current stuff and, you know, still have a chance to catch some pretty good fish this time of year. Yeah, you really can. But, you know, I'm going to change gears on you here now for a minute. And even though it's been cold and it's going to be seasonal the next couple of weeks, a lot of times the boat ramps open by the 1st of March. Doesn't look like that's too likely in a lot of places. You know, you'll have maybe one or two that may try because they don't like to open the ramps when there's still ice on the lake because it can cause boating incidents but this is a time of the year where you really should be getting not only your fishing gear ready but your boat ready right brad yeah you should you know there's there's things that you can do to help maintain uh your your boat and and make sure that it's running good that first time you get out um if you didn't take it into a dealership and have it winterized you know one of the things in outboard motors is change that lower unit uh oil it's a real simple thing to do. Uh, you can probably, you know, call a dealer or check on YouTube. It's basically taking a couple screws out, draining it, and then filling it back up. That's something that's good to do. Um, you know, I like to kind of pull the props on my motors, make sure that there's no fishing line wound up in it. And then the other big thing is, you know, take those batteries out and make sure they're starting the year with a really good charge. You know, and not just your electric motor batteries but also your cranking battery and so doing some of that and if there's any little maintenance or repairs that need to be done 
it's a great time of year to do it because you hate to, you know, put it off and then all of a sudden the bite gets real good and you realize, oh man, I gotta I gotta change that switch out or you know, I gotta run new wires for this thing and you miss an opportunity to go fishing to do it with them. Yeah, one of the things that I'll I'll hardly recommend to people is check the water level in your batteries. Even if you've had them on a charger all year, that maintenance or trickle charge will boil the water out of your batteries. Now, you need to put distilled water. You don't want to get minerals can, that gather in there. But um, I, I've been guilty of not checking the water and having battery issues because it, it does boil out. So put some distilled water. Make sure the water level in your batteries is up. And, you know, just check, like you said, your trolling motor. And another thing I know I'm going to talk about later in the show, and we won't take a lot of time right now, but time to start going through your tackle, Brad. Every one of us at the end of the year, we've got a crankbait or a jig head or something that we put back in a different place because we were in the middle of catching fish. And it's time to go now and reorganize that tackle and see what you're missing because this might not be an easy year to replace everything you want. No, I mean, I talked yesterday. I was on the phone with a couple different uh, tackle manufacturers, and they said, you know, what they're seeing sales-wise and – you know, their manufacturing challenges they're having with all the COVID stuff going on and the increased demand. They said that they're, you know, concerned that uh, we might see certain items that are short like you did last year. So if there's an item you really love or a new product you want to get out and try, um, pick all that stuff up. You know, if it's a favorite of yours, make sure to have a few extras around. Because it might be hard come middle of the summer to find some of that stuff. And um, fishing line's another one. You know, make sure you've got plenty of that. Change that out. And the one other thing that I do every year in the springtime, for those of you that have remote controls on your electric motors, I put a brand-new battery in there whether it needs it or not. Because one of the most frustrating things is to be out on the water, you know, in a situation where maybe you've got some wave action going on and you want to run that motor with your remote control and the battery is dead. Even if you're trying to change it on the water, it uh, it can be challenging when you're needing that to control your boat. So so change that battery out will uh, avoid a lot of those problems in the summer. All right. We got to run 15 seconds. Has this cold weather, the weather delayed the, the white goose, snow goose from moving up? Yeah, it has. They usually follow the ice line to where where the lakes are frozen. So if you pay attention to, like, the uh, North Sterling State Park Facebook page, they're going to talk about when it starts to open up. When you start seeing that opening up, that's when those snow geese are going to start showing up on the, uh, the South Platte Corridor. And down south, the best thing to do is just kind of keep an eye if you've got connections on when there's open water down there at uh, John Martin. I know that uh, the cold weather made Pueblo freeze up, which is pretty rare. So I'm guessing John Martin's pretty frozen. Give it another week or two, and we should be seeing a big push for those white geese. All right, my friend. We are out of time. We will talk to you again very soon. How do people get a hold of you if they want a, a guide trip or more information, Brad? Uh, they can give me a call at 303-829-3998 or find me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors. All right. We will talk to you very soon. Okay. Thank you. That's Brad Peterson from Brad Peterson Outdoors. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, 
We're going to talk about mountain lions. We had a couple dogs attacked. One uh, lost its life. We're going to maybe tell you how to protect your pets and a lot more right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Make a stand. You just got to see me through another day. James Taylor, one of America's great musicians. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, serving the outdoor public for 65 years. Stores up and down the front range. Stop in and check one out. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is uh, Scott Murdoch. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing good. It's sunny and nice. Uh, It's still a little wintry here in Colorado. I just... I snuck away and got out of the state for a while. I probably shouldn't have, but I did. And, uh, but, yeah, but I'm ready to deal with it. But it, it's seasonal. It's pretty good. We're going to get some warm weather and some cold. And, you know, it's typical spring here. But, you know, people are still getting out. We have had this surge of people because of COVID enjoying the outdoors because a lot of other activities weren't available And because outdoors is healthy and it was nearby and they're working from home. And all of a sudden, these people have really found out they like it. They've either gotten back to it or they're doing it for the first time. And if you couple that along with things like the way we've seen our population grow and the development in the foothills and mountains, and then we have these doorbell cameras that are like game cameras, we're hearing a lot more sightings of mountain lions in fact, we had a couple dogs attacked next week, so you and I thought it might be good to kind of go over what's going on with mountain lions in Colorado and both put people at ease, but also give them some cautionary advice. Sure. Um, you know, really every winter we start to get, uh, you know, more sightings of mountain lions, and uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's more mountain lions around. Um, you know, historically, we would see more recreation in the summer periods. And now um, folks trying to enjoy winter uh, recreation, you know, some of the ski resorts aren't uh, up to capacity. And so, you know, we get more and more people out hiking and snowshoeing and, and doing things outside. And there's so many trails up and along the front range that uh, really are right in the heart of our mountain lion habitat. And so, uh, sightings are pretty common, um, and while they might be common, their you know attack situations are extremely rare. I've I've been a wildlife officer for about 13 years now, and um, I've personally only dealt with one mountain lion incident uh, against a, a human. And um, you know you think about how many um, tens of thousands or millions of user day real user days really that the public is outdoors, um, and they're just very uncommon. And so while folks often will see a mountain lion, or maybe not often, but they, they do from time to time, they'll see them. Um, the likelihood of any sort of attack is pretty darn rare. Well, and <clears throat> I think you're absolutely right, although I think that might be a little different with pets. I know we know some pets were attacked this last couple of weeks, and I think some pets disappear that people don't attribute to mountain lions because of where they live. They're not aware and how much danger they put their pets in. But a mountain lion, even though the attacks are rare, caution needs to be taken. And there are occasional attacks. And excuse me, I've just got a frog in my throat this morning. But there are things people need to be aware of. Also, I think mountain lions are a lot more prevalent in habitat where people don't even see them. But 
they they don't realize they're there. I know there's been studies done up and down the front range in suburban areas where you guys have trapped and collared mountain lions almost right in the suburbs. Uh, we had a, a doorbell camera just a block from my house, and I live in a subdivision near the foothills, but in a subdivision, and two mountain lions came walking through the court and just a couple weeks ago. So they're out there. They just um, don't present themselves very well. They're very stealthy, but people still need to be aware and be, be careful what are some of the things you need to recommend to people that they really need to watch out for? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> with mountain lions, they view their prey uh, kind of, I guess they're, they're looking for a certain prey profile, right? Humans are bipeds. They stand upright where uh, pets and livestock um, walk on four legs. And so the profile of what those animals are looking for is quite a bit different. And so, uh, just that mere fact really helps uh, humans out and that the lions really aren't looking at humans as food. Um, that can be different with your pet or, um, you know, we've got a lot of hobby livestock up and along the front range, goats, sheep, uh, pigs, stuff like that. Um, and folks just need to understand that if you're living along the front range or really any part of of um, the mountainous part of Colorado and, and even some of the spots, um, you know, where it becomes a little bit flatter along the front range. I mean, mountain lions utilize all of these habitats they are incredibly adaptable. And, and one of the, the widest ranging carnivores in North America, um, which actually range clear all the way down into central and South America. Uh, so they're a very, very adaptable species. And so if they're able to find prey in a certain habitat type, um, they're going to uh, adapt and be able to tolerate whatever habitat they find. And so, um, you know, historically that may be more uh, rocky, canyony country, but um, if they're able to find um, food in subdivisions, absolutely, they're going to go there. And oftentimes we as um, both pet and livestock uh, owners don't do a real great job necessarily of making sure that our animals are secure, right? We have our backyards, and we kind of feel like, hey, this is my area, this is our area. And, uh, you know, we have kind of maybe an, an unrealistic expectation that when we let our dog out, that that area is kind of protected because it's in and around and or near a house. Uh, well, those animals don't see that the same way, and they may wander through subdivisions, and as far as they know, I mean, they don't know the difference between a house or a boulder, right? It's all the same to them. And so they're navigating through a landscape, and they may see a pet that's been let out, um, you know, late evening or even in the middle of the night. And those animals may see that as an opportunity. That's certainly not something that you're going to do with your, ch your child of letting it out. Uh, but the, it's often the case, you know, in the middle of the night, the dog needs to go out to the bathroom. You let the dog out and the dog doesn't come back. Um, so there may be a situation where um, some preventative actions of kind of controlling where your dog goes out at certain times of the day uh, can make a big difference. Um, other things that you can do around your property is like uh, clearing out brush and making sure that there's no uh, ways for the animals, the lions, to sneak up into your property um, and get sort of an advantage over over any pets or livestock you have. 
No, I think that's those. That's absolutely great advice, and I want to take that a step further, and that's talk about um, people when they're out on the trails. We, you mentioned, and I mentioned, a lot of people are out walking the trails, hiking. They're snowshoeing. They're they're cross country skiing. A lot of people take their dogs with them, and I'll tell you what: if you take your dog out into the wilds of Colorado, or even the foothills or the nearby trails. First of all, it should always be on a leash unless it's an area that's specifically for that. And there's a lot of reasons. I'm a dog lover. I've owned dogs most of my life. But one of my pet peeves is people say, oh, I love my dog and it loves to run. Well, if you love your dog, you're not going to let it run because you get not only mountain lions, but you get coyote and moose. And you're not only going to harass the wildlife and you're going to bother other people with your dog running, but you're putting that dog's life in extreme danger, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you made the point of, of moose and most of our um, attacks on humans from moose, uh, most of which obviously are defensive in nature, but they're all almost all tied to dogs. And in most of the cases, dogs off leash. And so, um, you know, you're not able to defend your dog if, say, a mountain lion came to try and prey on your dog. Um you know, mountain lions are going to kind of make an assessment of, of what the risk versus reward is going to be when they're going after a prey. And so if your dog, say your dog is 50 pounds and it's all by itself up ahead of you on the trail, um, right, the, the, the dogs are domesticated at this point. So they don't have that same savviness about being in the wild like a wild animal. And so uh, the mountain lion is going to really view that as a, an easy opportunity. Whereas if you're walking with your dog and you are on, you know, you have your dog on a leash, that dog or that mountain lion is not only going to see your dog, but it might see you and maybe um, whoever you're with, your kids, husbands, wives, whatever. And now it realizes, hey, I've got one prey item, but now I've got three or four other um, risks to me. Maybe that mountain lion's going to say, nah, this isn't worth my time. I'm going to go look for easier prey and maybe go find a deer or raccoon somewhere else. All right. We're running out of time, but if people are out hiking and they do come around a mountain lion, what, what should they do? So the biggest thing is they need to make sure that uh, that mountain lion knows that uh, they're there. Um, again, it goes back to the risk versus reward. If that mountain lion knows that the element of surprise is gone, the, the likeliness of an attack is much less. And that person needs to act big, make noise, and then back away slowly. Never do you want to, to um, look small or reach down and, and, you know, give that animal an opportunity. Uh, and you also don't want to run. You may in, uh, encourage that prey chasing instinct. All right. And so never run. Stay, stay in groups. Keep your dog on a leash. You know, it's very rare. Um, but... They are out there, and if you have deer in an area, you've got mountain lions, and certainly don't be feeding and attracting wildlife, right? Absolutely, yeah. Feeding, not only does it cause all kinds of, of situations, but chronic wasting disease, you get lactic acidosis uh, with deer, you get habituation, issues with migration, uh, but, you know, one of the huge ones is that you attract predators into areas that uh, – you know, really don't need predators. It certainly increases the risk. So feeding is definitely a no-no. Scott, we are out of time, but thank you so much. I mean, we don't want people to be afraid. Just be aware and act accordingly. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Terry. You bet. That's Scott Murdoch from Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back, we're going to switch up. We're going to talk about another outdoor danger that has actually claimed uh, quite a few lives already this year. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They have locations in Lafayette, Broomfield, Loveland, Fort Collins, and even Cheyenne. If you if you do anything outdoors, even grilling, they can take care of you. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is 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 Bridget Koshell. Good morning, Bridget. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you on. You know, we just talked to uh, we talked about the mountain lions and some of the dangers and things that they can present in the outdoors, especially to pets, but. There's another danger going on in Colorado. It actually goes on every winter. We hear about it. This has been an extremely uh, deadly winter for avalanches, hasn't it? That's right. Our state is experiencing a once-in-a-decade dangerous avalanche conditions. Now, do you think some of that is... Go ahead. It's just really important to know the snow conditions before you go. Do you think some of that... We've seen an increase in fatalities. I've, I, th- I think it's 10 or more this season already. I'm not sure. But do you think some of that's due? We're having more people outdoors. Is it because the conditions are poor? Is it because more people, maybe the ski slopes, more people are doing backcountry because they can't accommodate as many? Or is it just a combination of everything? I think it's a combination of everything. And what we're learning from the Colorado Avalanche Information Center is that this season's snowpack is weaker compared to previous years. So we are seeing an increase in avalanche activity. So, and, you know, and I think people, especially if you're new to the backcountry or new to the outdoors, I think people sometimes have trouble understanding where an avalanche can occur and how quickly it can happen. Why don't you kind of take us through how we should prepare, at least initially, so we don't get caught in one? Absolutely. So again, this year is different compared to previous years. So the way the snowpack developed this year makes it easier for people to trigger dangerous avalanches. So for the people that are experienced in backcountry recreation, your normal routes may not be good routes this year. And the most important thing to do is to check the avalanche forecast and that danger rating at avalanche.state.co.us. And this is also, it doesn't matter what the sport is. It doesn't matter if you ski, snowshoe, ice fish, hike, bike, or go snowmobiling. It's important to check the avalanche forecast. Because you might not think you're in an avalanche terrain area, but you could be. Well, I think even a lot of people, they go on a fairly used trail. They think, well, I'm on this trailhead. It should be fine. Well, the trail itself, for the most part, might be good, but parts of it, are very likely to cross avalanche dangerous areas, especially this year. That's exactly right. And so we need everyone to really look at those danger ratings, know the know before you go, and also adjust your plan for the day based on the avalanche conditions. If you want to go in a particular area but conditions are proving to be unsafe, then we're very lucky that Colorado provides a variety of other outdoor activities that we can enjoy. 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot of people outdoors, a lot of them are inexperienced. What do I look for? What, I, I'm going to check the avalanche uh, information center, check the danger. What kind of terrain do I need to avoid? So anything, if the, the snow is going to be really high up, you want to avoid not being anything lower than that 30 to 40 degree angle. You also want to make sure that you have the proper safety equipment with you and make sure that uh, you have an avalanche transceiver, a probe, a shovel, bring extra warm layers with you. And then also take a refresher uh, backcountry safety course this year to make sure that you know what to avoid, what snowpacks to look for. And again, just looking up those avalanche forecasts, are fantastic and it's such a great resource because it'll tell you what areas to avoid when you go and you look at the avalanche forecast and the weather forecast i know these are the experts they put a lot together but i think people get fooled sometimes they look and they go oh we're getting heavy snow today i better not go but they'll look another day and they'll say boy it's going to be sunny and bright and beautiful it should be a good day to go but that's kind of misleading isn't it that's right, because avalanche conditions are, uh, they, they change every single day. And so you could plan your trip out the night before, and the avalanche conditions could be completely different the morning before you, you go outdoors in that adventure. So it's really important to check them all the time up until you're really on the mountain. And, you know, and you're not going to just get an avalanche triggered if you're up above and get caught coming down in it. Activity down below can trigger an avalanche, too. That's right. That's right. This year's snowpack is just so weak, and it's very unstable. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand. We don't have to get into a scientific explanation because it's hard to show them on the radio. But what happens is we've had the snow come in layers, and we've had melting and thawing, and it creates these almost like uh, plates that it can can slide on it gets very difficult and and i don't think a lot of people understand the force of what an avalanche coming down there's nothing you can do to resist that force is there right absolutely there's avalanches are very powerful and they're strong and they can completely bury you so what are some of the main safety gear that i need if i'm going out in potential avalanche country So, again, it's really important to have an avalanche rescue transceiver so people know where you are and can track where you are. Also, a probe to understand how deep the snow is, a shovel to dig yourself out, a strong shovel to make sure that it can really dig through heavy layers of snow. And it's always a good idea to bring extra warm layers. And don't go alone in these kind of terrain either because – it's, no one's going to find you in time if your friends around you don't, if you don't have a beacon going off. So it's just be prepared. Again, we're not trying to dissuade people from going outdoors. It's just we want to make, especially a lot of people who are new to the backcountry and outdoor recreation in Colorado, just be really aware. Enjoy the outdoors without uh, putting yourself in harm's way. Bridget, any last comments? Just to build off of that, you're absolutely right. We want our outdoor community to be able to enjoy everything a Colorado winter has to offer and to live life outside. But we also just want to make sure that you return home safely. All right. Thank you so much for joining us as always, Bridget. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You bet. That's Bridget Cashel from Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out. 
we come back, we're going to give you a fly fishing update. And there's some interesting things going on in fly fishing in Colorado right now. Uh, some conditions, both good and bad, that you just wouldn't expect in uh, some of the Colorado rivers. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Take it easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Um, let's go right to the phones. And joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is Chris Steinbeck. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And to say it's been an interesting winter for fly fishing would certainly be an understatement, wouldn't it? Oh, that's without a doubt, especially over the last couple of weeks here. You, you know, we always get off and on weather in Colorado's winters. We can get some cold. The river's flows will change. Um, usually there's good tailwater fishing. We usually get some warm days where we can go and we can fish major parts of rivers where things open up. We've had some of all of that this year, but I was talking to you earlier in the week. You said this recent cold spell and the low flows on the South Platte actually caused some pretty massive freezing. It it really did, and um, basically it was just perfect storm of events where the flows were dropped really low out of Cheeseman Canyon down to 40 CFS, which is super, super low river flows. And then we had that really cold snap last week. And um, and what happened was uh, the river froze. And so all the way up from the top of Deckers down through um, the whole 15, 17 miles of the river is uh, pretty capped right now. And that's not very usual. We don't see that most winters. Um, And it was just a mix of those low flows with the super, super cold air. And, uh, yeah. And, And having said that, we love the snow. We need the snow. We want the snow. Um, and so that's all good things. It's just going to put a little bit of breaks for those hoping to fish the South Platte over the next probably few weeks or so here. Now we did, we're going to get some warm weather this week. Then it's going to get kind of seasonal. I would say another two, three weeks, we'll start to see more of a gradual warm up and things getting back to what we expect maybe a week or so later, but into the spring. But right now with the nicer weather coming this week, where might I want to plan a trip? And I guess I better check the weather the day before, both for snow and cold. But what are you hearing out there? Yeah, great points all the way around. So, um, obviously, we just talked about the South Platte, not the best option. The Blue River and Silverthorne is getting incredibly good fishing reports right now. Um, the uh, Parks and Wildlife stocks some beautiful fish in there. They're brute stocks of big fish. Uh, they're beautiful, and where anglers want to target is right in the town of Silverthorne, all the way up to uh, as far up to the dam you can go at below Dillon there. And so that is a great option, not too far away. And just like you mentioned, Terry, take a look at the weather reports because going up and over the pass through Eisenhower can be a little dicey sometimes. Um, but there's another fantastic option down south below Pueblo um, on the Arkansas River, and that is always a notoriously good winter fishery, and um, and that's the case right now, too. Anglers go find some sweet fish down there. A little bit more of a drive, but those who want to scratch that itch, that is a great option. What about uh, tailwater below Chatfield? You know, we talk about below Pueblo all the time. They did a lot of river restoration below Chatfield, plus you get um, some stocking right below the Stilling Basin of, of trout. 
you get the trout species in there, and you get some warm water species in there. Have you ever fished that area from Chatfield Reservoir up going into town? Yeah, absolutely. We love it. And, and exactly for the reason you just mentioned, Terry, the variety of species. And you could get close to Chatfield. You could go follow it as the river goes up Santa Fe, um, all the way up north. And what you could find is you have options to catch beautiful rainbows, beautiful browns. Um, there's tons of carp in the river, which are a ton of fun to catch. Um, the smallmouth bass that are in there that you come across, I mean, just the variety of fish, it, it, it's a fun river. And I don't think the South Platte that runs through Denver gets the amount of love and it deserves and how much work's been put into that river. Um, it's a great option. And it's right in people's backyards. I mean, a lot of times this time of the year, we'll get four or five hours of nice weather a day. And we don't want to drive somewhere for a short period of time, but you can go right in your backyard. And you mentioned the carp. Carp, to me, are just such an underrated game fish. Um, you know, good friends of bo- both of ours, I'm sure, Barry Reynolds, and I'm sure you knew Brad Beefus. Oh, yeah. And um, we did some television shows when they first came out with their book, Fly Fishing for Carp, in the 90s. And they just turned me on to carp fishing with a fly rod. And I'll tell you what, people who have never caught a 10-pound brown or a, a 8-pound rainbow on a fly rod or even a a bonefish or something, if you want to get ready, go fish for some carp, because I'll guarantee you when you get one of those others hooked up, you're going to pucker up a little bit, and your, your <laughs> way of handling fish is you're going to get a little nervous. But if you landed some 5- or 10-pound carp, they pull like a truck, and if you lose one, you don't get quite so nervous, and you will just train yourself on how to handle big fish. Oh, they're addicting. They're, I mean, just like I said, they pull hard. And they're a great fish because they're spooky. Carp can be really spooky to catch on a fly rod. And um, and so it really makes the anglers practice their presentation skills. And, um, and and just like you said, the practice on fighting big fish, I mean, carp are dope every bit for us. We love them. Um, yeah, it's fun to fish for those guys. Well, probably we're looking at mostly tailwater fishing here for a while, but it's going to be on us pretty soon. But do you have uh, what do you have going on at the shop? Do you have some classes? What about fly tying? Yeah, so you know, right now, obviously, if you're hardcore, go out and fish. A lot of us are waiting for the warmer weather to hit springtime, and so fly tying is really great right now. We run a ton of classes up at our shop. Um, and with COVID, how it is right now, we've turned to doing specialized, personalized fly tying classes. So uh, for the same price, you don't have the class. It's a one-on-one setting. Um, sometimes we have groups up to three or four, all, you know, family members. And, and so we could definitely run fly tying classes all spring. Um, and a lot of us are starting to gear up and get ready for the spring hatches that we're going to get when the weather's nice and when the rivers start turning really fishy again and, um, what we're anticipating coming up is we get a big midge hatch in the spring, which is a much bigger midge than traditionally hatches on these tailwaters. And then in April, we get our blueing olives, which is our first mayfly hatch of the year. And so we're really gearing up for those, kind of getting excited for it. We're tying flies based off of there. Okay, what kind of bugs are we seeing the next two, three months and filling up our fly boxes? And so um, if anybody has questions, feel free, call up the shop. Uh, our number is 303-674-4700, and we're happy to go over options on ways to get into fly tying or tying different patterns or any other questions we can answer for you. We're happy to do that. 
I think another overlooked aspect right now is your fly line. And really make sure you've been maintaining it. It's clean and ready to go, that your backing is in good shape, and that your leader materials are all good. Those are things that get overlooked a lot of times so that people make that first trip. Absolutely. And, and a little tip, um, especially fly lines, because fly lines are expensive nowadays. They're really pricey. And so if you have a really any kind of fly line, having said that, Keep it inside. Don't keep it in your garage where it gets really cold and then really warm and these big temperature swings. That can make a fly line not last as long as it should. But if you keep those lines inside, especially for the next month, two months, that line's going to be great for you in the spring. Um, taking a look at your inventory, your leaders, and your tippet, and the flies that you ran through last year that you're a little low on right now, now's the time to capitalize on all that organization and getting ready for the season coming up. So you're absolutely right. Give people your contact information again. Yeah, you bet. You can find us up in Evergreen. Um, you can call us anytime. Our number is 303-674-4700. You can also find a ton of information on all the classes we offer, whether you just get into fly fishing or fly tying. Um, and you can see on our website at www.bluequillangler.com. And, um, yeah, like I said, if it's questions on fishing reports or places even you're thinking of fishing this summer, call us up. We can give you good access points or different ideas to go fish this season. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon. You stay warm. Hey, thank you very much, Terry. You take care, and we'll talk to you soon. The Blue Quill Angler, great people. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Nate Zielinski is going to join us from on the water ice fishing up at Grand Lake on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.